Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Cannot get enough of it. Uh, if you're newer here, uh, this series we've been doing, God Has a Name, uh, we've been doing it in conjunction, we're a few weeks behind, but in conjunction with the church in Ireland. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of snow and different things and ice that kind of kept us from doing it on schedule. But um, God has a plan. He always does. I got some lightsaber stuff going on behind me, I think. I don't know if y'all hear that. Ooh, stuff. All right. Uh, but anyway, God has a plan. And as I was working on the message this week uh, for today, I just kept getting like kind of hit in the chest, punched in the gut, so to speak, of this is the message that we need today with everything that's going on in our world this week. It's, you know, just crazy, crazy things that are taking place and, and stuff that um, I, I've seen a meme go around that says, you know, I'm kind of tired of living through historical moments. <laughs> I'd like a break from that. I don't know about y'all. Um, but we're talking about how God is, or Yahweh, as we call him, his name he's given there in, in Exodus, is slow to anger. Last week we talked about how he was compassionate and gracious, and that sort of goes hand in hand, sort of, you know, fist and glove, so to speak. But what we want to talk about today specifically is being slow to anger. And I'm telling you, um, I'm a parent, and so I know what anger is. Can any of y'all say amen to that? It's like, you didn't know you had anger until you had children, and then it's like, you know, it just, they bring it out of you. Because I'll tell you why, in case you don't know, I'm not going to charge you for this, this is free. They act like you. Am I, am I telling a lie? <laughs> My kids, when, when they are acting their worst, it's mostly acting like their mom. But then there's sometimes, sometimes, she ain't in here, I can say that. Um, and y'all won't tell her, right? We're cool. We're good. Um, but most of the time when your kid is doing something that, you know, is defiant and you don't like it, it's a, probably a character trait that they sort of got from you or a bad habit that they learned from you. Not a character trait, but a bad habit they learned from you. But today we're talking about anger. And a lot of times I, I love memes. I, I talk about all the times and uh, I was looking for anger memes because I see them all the time. And I think, man, those are funny. They make me laugh, I guess, because it's so relatable, I guess, to me. But I, I couldn't find good ones, at least ones that weren't like foul. But I did find one I want to share with you. I want you to see it real quick. Angry birds, not as much fun in real life. I don't know if y'all can see that, but these birds are attacking that poor mountain climber. Um, but I thought it was funny. I liked it. But anyway, I just had to share that with you. But the idea of anger and God is it's a, it's a, a subject that kind of creates two very different sides with some area in the middle. The idea of an angry God for some people is really easy to grasp. You know, we talked about last week a lot how gods throughout time and history, little g gods and all these different, uh, different religions that have existed, a lot of times the gods were very angry and they were looking for opportunities to, you know, smite you or whatever to use the old school word. They were looking for opportunities to, you know, lay the smack down. You know, Greek mythology was full of stories like that where, you know, the gods would come and they'd take your wife or do something like that and they would just cause all sorts of chaos. And so the idea of Jesus and Yahweh way being compassionate and gracious was a game changer especially back then at the time as Moses is giving given all this information and now we've got it in our Bible 
And so for some people, it's easy. They still kind of have that idea. And for other people, they're like, well, it's the opposite extreme. Well, God, God is love, and so he can never really truly get angry with people. That's sort of an old school idea that doesn't really uh, exist anymore. And so you got some people that say God is wrathful or angry, and he's waiting to punish. How can God be good when there's so much evil? And so some people even will disbelieve in God or question God because if he's wrathful, why was he allowing all these sort of things and and all these evil things and all that kind of good stuff? And then on the opposite extreme, like I said, there's some people that say, well, God is all love. He wouldn't punish anyone. And the idea of the wrath of God or the anger of God is it's outdated. It's old fashioned. It doesn't hold up in 2022. And like so many things, there's many extremes, and then there's somewhere in the middle, there's probably a little more truth. Am I right? And so I want us to try to get to the truth as much as we can in the next uh, two hours. I'm not going to keep you much longer. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, Exodus 34, verse 6 is our, our theme passage where it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, that's Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, And abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Now, some of that sounds really compassionate and really gracious, and then some of it sounds kind of judgy and wrathful. And and we're going to continue to talk about that each week and kind of get down to the bottom of that. But I want to talk specifically, as I said, about the idea of God, Yahweh, being slow to anger. And here in Exodus 34, 6, there's a phrase that is in the Hebrew that is very interesting. You know, you can't get an exact word-for-word translation many times from language to language. But here's the idea that's being communicated in Hebrew in the original for Exodus 34, verse 6. Slow to anger literally can be translated from Hebrew... Long of nostrils. Long of nostrils. It's a Hebrew phrase, erek apayim. It's a common phrase for us. We're like, what in the world? You're messing with me, right? That's what you're thinking. You think I'm messing with you. And, you know, like I said, I'm reading from this book. And our sermon series is based on the book, God Has a Name, by John Mark Comer. I've really been enjoying that book. But I didn't just take his word for it. I did some word study. And I'm like... Going, he is not kidding. It really is long of nostril in the Hebrew. It's the literal. They would say someone is long of nostril, and for us, it's like that's mind blowing. What in the world does that mean? So, really, it gives the idea of when they would say someone was angry. You know, you might say they're going to blow their top. You ever said that, or you know, you've heard that phrase. We're familiar with it. They're going to blow their top. You know, they would say. Their nose went hot. Their nose went hot. Their nose burned hot. An example of how that was used in in Scripture uh, was David's oldest brother. You remember David, who was the shepherd boy who became king. He fought Goliath. When he goes out and he hears that Goliath is taunting the people of God, he is really upset and he's ready to go and fight. But he's just a little guy. He's just a shepherd. He's not even supposed to be there. He's just bringing lunch to his brothers who are the real, real warriors, right? And they're the ones hiding behind the lines and won't go out there. So his brother, his oldest brother, when he hears that David is asking questions about Goliath, the scripture uses that erek apayim, and it's saying his nose burned hot. His brother's nose burned hot that David was trying to get all the glory. That's kind of what he thought. 
He's like this kid. He's just trying to get people to look at him. So his brother, his nose burned hot at him. And it's used of God in Exodus chapter 4. When Moses, earlier back up a little bit from where we started here today. When Moses kept giving excuses as to why he couldn't go to Pharaoh, it says that ultimately after about four or five excuses, God's nose burned hot at Moses. I want to ask you, have you ever been hot-nosed? I have. (laughs) I've been hot-nosed. I didn't know to call it that. But um, I'd say maybe that's a good little tool from now on when you start to get angry and you think you're going to lose your control. Just think hot-nosed. Think hot-nosed. Maybe that'll make you laugh a little bit. Or no, it might make you stone dead like you are right now. I don't know. (laughs) But I'm going to try to picture that. I'm going to try to picture my nose glowing red hot like Rudolph. And maybe that will calm me down. Maybe that will calm you down. So, here's the thing. Think about what happens when you get angry. When you get really angry. When you're about to explode on the person who has caused this anger. Or just the person who's nearby, let's be honest. What you do a lot of times is you suck in a deep breath of air, your nostrils flare, and then you just verbally unload an assault on this person who deserves it, right? Is that an honest description when you really lose it? All right, don't be acting all high and mighty like y'all don't get mad. Don't act like that. Y'all been to Walmart. Y'all been angry. Y'all have been angry before and you have done that. Your nostrils flare and get big. Well, that's your nose getting hot and you unload on them. But if you're slow to anger, what does that look like? You close your mouth. You probably purse your lips. You purse your lips and you breathe through your nose and you try to not lose your cool. Can we relate to that? Is that that true? You try not to lose your cool. So your erect apaim or long of nostrils if you are slow to anger. And that's how Yahweh is. He's slow to anger. You can make Yahweh mad, but you really got to work at it. Now, for some of you, like, man, I don't understand why this is important. But trust me, it's really important. When he gets angry, when Yahweh gets angry, buckle up. When Yahweh, when God gets angry, buckle up. There is a time and a place, there have been times and places throughout Scripture when he gets really, really angry, but he is slow to anger. But when he does get angry, it's purposeful, it's deliberate, it's under control. And and like we mentioned earlier, in much of the modern world, especially the religious world, a lot of people have just given up on the idea of an angry God. And so this is, is difficult for people to even consider. But do you know that the Bible speaks about God's wrath or his anger more than 600 times? Now, I don't know where you fall on this side of the uh, idea about God's anger. If you fall onto the, yeah, it's easy for me to see God being angry or there's no way God can be angry if you're just somewhere in the middle. But for some of us, that might be a little shocking to hear just about how much anger it it mentions in the Bible when it comes to God. Psalm chapter 7 verse 11 says this, God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. Now, this is poetic language. You know, it's not necessarily literal in the sense of, you know, every single day, but it it can be. But what he's saying is God does get angry. And, And the psalmist is saying, you know, I'm ready for him to show his anger is ultimately what he's getting at. And then in Psalm 11 verse 5, you see this passage of scripture. The Lord examines the righteous, 
But the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. God hates. It says he hates wicked people. Those who love violence, those who go and destroy other people's lives. He hates, it says, and he brings judgment. But what about God loving everybody? How can God love everybody and then hate evil people, those who do evil? It's hard for us to understand. First, I'll just simply say this, and I'm going to lay the, I don't know if y'all were spades players, but I'm laying the trump card down. I am telling you, he's God, and you're not. (laughs) I I am going to just lay that on you. I know that's you're like saying, oh, that's the easy thing, that's the, the Bible answer, that's the Sunday school answer. But he is God, and you're not. I am imperfect, he is perfect. And how he can love people, his desire is for all to be saved, but then he hates when people do evil. It's hard for me to grasp, but it's possible. God loves everyone, but it says he hates the wicked. And then some, as we've said, I know I'm sort of beating a dead horse, but I want you to get these two ideas in your mind. As some would say, I can't believe in a God of wrath. But yes, you can. You can believe in a God of wrath. How about when you read about another child being abused? Do you want a God of wrath then? Come on, be real. I ain't up here just for my good looks. <laughs> That's the first thing y'all laughed at, me talking about being good looking. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. But when you read about another child being abused, or you read about a woman being sold into sex slavery, or you read about genocide, or you read about rape or murder or, or school shootings, we want a God of wrath. Come on, let's not be fake and, and act like we don't want some justice. And if you're like me at times, you get angry, maybe even to the point of, of tears because you're like, I'm sick of this stuff. I, I'm sick of innocent people being hurt. I'm sick of all kinds of things happening and evil seeming to triumph. And you're thinking maybe like me, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And you're right. It's not supposed to be this way. It's not God's will. It's all evil. Little G gods and human beings are at war with Yahweh. And because of that, there is conflict, and there is pain, and there is sin, and there is hurt, and there is evil, and there is danger, and there is brokenness. But Yahweh has a plan to take all this pain and brokenness and work it into good. Did did you hear that? They've already put you to sleep. God, Yahweh, has a plan to take all this brokenness and this pain and bring it into good. He has a plan to take it and work it into good. You need to hear that. I need to hear that. This world right now needs to hear that. It's not God's will for there to be conflict and war. It's not God's will for for innocent people to be hurt. It's not God's will for any of that. It's not God's will for those people who hurt you. You. And God has a plan to take that hurt And work it into good. Maybe you needed to hear that this morning. I know I did. I needed to be reminded of it. Yahweh feels anger over the evil in the world. And there are times when, honestly, the healthy, emotionally mature response to evil is anger. And that might seem weird to you and foreign and say it. But anger is an emotion. What you do with that anger can be sin. 
Being angry is not necessarily a sin, but how you respond in that anger can be a sin. You understand what I'm saying? It's okay for us, even as Christians, to be angry at times when it's for a a godly purpose, if, if that's what it is, and we handle it in the right way. And Yahweh always handles it the right way. So take note that God's anger is very different from ours. Most of the time, when you and I get angry, where does it come from? It normally comes from a bruised ego, doesn't it? We get embarrassed. We feel slighted. We feel rejected. We feel forgotten. We feel like somebody hurt our feelings. We wish that they would have done what we wanted them to do. They don't give us what we want. And our ego is bruised. Someone made us feel stupid or used or didn't give us what we wanted. But Yahweh's anger comes from a parent-like love for us, his children, the world that he created. He is hurting when this world is hurt, when we are hurt, when pain comes. Our our anger is normally unjust. And here's something I want you to wake up and hear too. (laughs) When we say that we want justice, we usually just want revenge. Mm, That didn't get too many amens. (laughs) When we say we want justice, we usually want revenge, but Yahweh's anger doles out the punishment that fits the crime. You see, we want to get even, and we want to hurt people like they hurt us, but when Yahweh is doing it, he is slow to anger, but when he finally lets it go, there's a purpose for it. And our our anger is normally quick to pounce. It doesn't wait. It doesn't listen for the whole story. It doesn't wait for evidence. Example number one, Facebook. Facebook exists, that's enough proof that we just react and we say hurtful and mean things to one another. I talked about an example last week, I won't go into that. But we just blow up and we don't wait for the whole story about anything. If it's about a world event, we just put our our two cents out there and we really should get some change back because it wasn't a full two cents worth that we put out there. And we just blast everything and blast everybody and we don't wait for the whole story, but not Yahweh. His primary characteristics, we discussed last week, he's compassionate and gracious, make him slow to anger. Remember Nineveh that we talked about last week? If you didn't, it's about the story of Jonah. You might have heard the story of Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the great fish. You know, this, he wanted, God said, go and tell these people, the Ninevites, these wicked, horrible people. And they, we talked really, go back and listen last week if you didn't. You'll hear the background of Nineveh a little bit, how wicked these people were. He says, Jonah, go tell them that I'm going to destroy them. They need to repent. Jonah's like, okay, God, nope. And he gets on a boat and goes the other way. Ends up getting swallowed by a whale. He, he comes to his senses. He gets spit out. He goes, he preaches this simple message Repent, you're going to be destroyed, and they all repent. These wicked people repent, and Jonah is mad because he wanted them to be destroyed because they were horrible people, and he knew that God was going to forgive them if they repented. And that's the, the gist of it. Well, guess what? The Ninevites repented then, but over time, you know what they did? Just like you and me a lot of times, they went right back to their wicked ways. And about 150 years later, God approaches a prophet named Nahum, and says, I want you to go and proclaim that Nineveh, same place he spared 150 years ago, is going to be destroyed. He says they're going to be destroyed. This time, they had taken the ten tribes, uh, the, south, or the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes into slavery. They were killing thousands of people. They were ravaging the nation. And he's like, they're going back and it's time for me to let my anger loose. 
And this time he used Nahum, and here's what he says in Nahum chapter 1, verse 2, beginning there. It says, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Now, if you've been listening each week, did anything sort of jump out at you in that passage, especially the last half of that passage? Anything sound familiar? If you notice, it's pretty close to a word-for-word quote in a section there of Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. This main passage we're reading about he's slow to anger and he's the guilty unpunished and all that sort of stuff. And so, if you remember from last week, and I know you, I'm sure you do, you guys all go home and listen to my messages like three or four times each. Yes, everybody nod your head. Thank you. You remember that we said also last week, God quoted through Jonah the same passage. Actually, Jonah quoted it back to God. I know that you are Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, all that stuff. And so God uses the same passage of Scripture, Exodus 34, our main theme passage, in the Jonah account when he spares them, and then he uses it again when he's about to destroy them. God is trying to get a message across What does it teach us? It teaches us that Yahweh is compassionate and gracious. He's compassionate and gracious, and he's slow to anger. That's his nature. But there comes a time when God says, enough! When you were a kid, were you ever messing around, and your mom or dad, you know, they maybe cleared their throat, or they looked at you? And you kind of kept on, it's like, I want to see if I can go a little bit further. And then they, then they cranked it up. Anybody ever do that? Y'all's parents didn't do that? I mean, they're like, stop! That's when you know it's serious. That's when you know it's serious. And God's like, it's enough, stop. No more violence, no more injustice. But here's the interesting thing. God doesn't destroy Nineveh 150 years later after he spared them. He doesn't destroy them by some mighty act of his power like this passage talks about like a whirlwind or a tornado or or something like that. What he does is he allows Babylon, another pagan nation, to come in and destroy them. So they had taken the Israelites captive, and he allows Babylon to come in and really just wipe them off the map. He allows another pagan nation to destroy another pagan nation. And I like the way that John Mark Comer describes God's wrath in this. He says, well, this is the way I describe it. If you take a 30,000-foot view of the Bible in history, you can see God's wrath can be viewed in four different ways. Present, future, active, and passive. All right? Now, that's, I know that's a lot to, to think about, but think about it this way. Present, future, active, and passive. I've got a little graphic that hopefully you can see. Hopefully it shows up. What we've got here is we've got four quadrants, if you will, and axis here active passive present future and and you see throughout time and history and you see throughout the bible god's wrath show up in different ways you see babylon and nineveh how babylon came in and destroyed nineveh is a perfect example of present and passive see that over here it's a perfect example of that his judgment is right now it's present but he doesn't like send a lightning bolt from heaven does that make sense he passively, allowed, he, t- he says, all right, Nineveh, I spared you before, but now it's off. I'm going to step back, and I'm going to let these wicked people come in and destroy you. So it's present, and it's passive. 
And there's another story in the Old Testament uh, about a guy named Uzzah. And what was happened was, once again, the Israelites, they had messed up again. The Philistines had taken the Ark of God, the box that God's presence dwelled in, and, and came and, and sat there. They had taken it captive, and the Israelites didn't have it. And they finally got it back. And it's such a cool story. I wish I could go into that time. But they finally get it back. And instead of the prescribed method of carrying the Ark, which was on poles with these loops that were on the side of the Ark of the Covenant, instead of carrying it the way they did, because they weren't paying attention to God's Word, they said, let's put it on a, a, a cart and pull it by oxen, and we'll take it back that way. And, man, they were celebrating, man. They thought they were, you know, here we are. God's presence is back with us. They were, they were celebrating. They were excited. And they're coming along, and the ox stumbles, and the cart starts to shift, and the Ark of the Covenant looks like it's going to fall. And Uzzah, being a really smart guy, so he thought, he said, Oh, man, oh, man, I don't want the Ark of the Covenant to fall. I don't want God's presence to be destroyed. We just got it back. He reaches out, and he puts his hand on it and steadies it. And God sends him a certificate of good reward. No. God kills him like that. God kills him like that. Because God had been telling his people for many, 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 many years that you are not to touch the Ark of the Covenant. He had told them, and he had told them, and he had told them. And because they rejected God's word and got themselves all in trouble and allowed the ark to be taken, they didn't pay attention to God's word in the big things, and they didn't pay attention to God's word in the small things. And he destroyed them. And so that's a perfect example up there on the top left of present judgment. He dealt with it right then, didn't he? And active. God actively smoted that dude. Uh, that's not really a real word, I guess, but I, I like it. He smoted him. You know, he struck him down. And that's scary, right? That's like really scary. There's a New Testament example of that. Ananias sends a fire. Look it up in the book of Acts. You can read it sometime. I'm not going to go into it right now because uh, I don't want it to be a two-hour sermon, as I said. But then look at this. Think about this. Consequences of sin and, uh, are a good example of future and passive. we got future over here on this side and passive. Our consequences of sin. So ultimately, when we sin and we rebel against God, a lot of times our sin is a punishment in and of itself. The consequences of our sin can ultimately lead to death. Some sins will actually kill you in the long run. I mean, you know, there's overdose and all sorts of different things. And just it affects your body in negative ways when you sin and, all, you know, all sorts of things. I mean, even if nothing else, just guilt will tear up your esophagus. You know, you can get acid reflux from guilt and shame. You know what I'm saying? It's a punishment in and of itself. And so that's future and that's passive. It takes a while, but the judgment comes and it just kind of happens to you. God doesn't strike down like he did with Uzzah. And then the last little category of future and active is what we'll call the day of Yahweh or judgment day. It's in the future, and Jesus is coming back, and he is going to be active. And so you and I need to understand there's different ways that his judgment is carried out, that his wrath is carried out. And honestly, most of God's wrath is displayed in present and passive ways, and it's also displayed in future and active. Not many times does God do present and active at the same time. Does that make sense? Did I completely lose you? I think we all got it, right? We all got it. God normally does active and future and passive and present. And the reason I'm saying all this, you're like, man, this is boring. I don't understand why you're even saying this. But here's why. Here's why. 
Because this reason, not understanding God's wrath and judgment, is what gets most of us angry with God. I'm not angry with God. You've been angry with God. Everybody do like this. If you just breathed, you've been angry with God at some point. You may not have verbalized it. You may not have even known how to process it yourself. But you've been angry with God. And it usually comes down to with not understanding how his wrath and his judgment works. And we've, what we've done is we have really lost this understanding. And it can be frustrating for us. And we're like J.G. Wentworth. It's like, it's my justice and I want it now, right? You know, it's like, I want my justice and I want you to, come on God, smoke them, smite them, uzzah them, you know. Y'all think that sometimes, don't you? I know I've thought it. We get really anxious for our justice. But consider this for a second. And this is where we really need to focus back in for a second. Consider this. When the husband or the wife gets away with his or her cheating, or the dictator goes unpunished, that's not God's mercy. That's actually God's judgment when they get away with it. Did you hear that? You see, if somebody who does us wrong or somebody we think deserves justice or, or punishment gets away with it, so to speak, we think, man, where is the justice? There's, there's not, you know, I want, some, I want some hellfire and brimstone, right? But when they get away with it, that's actually not mercy at all that's actually justice because here is the real danger if that person continues down that life in that path of rejecting God and sinning and hurting people they will never ever have an opportunity to be saved and I'm telling you punishment and 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 pain here on this earth is nothing compared to an eternity separate from God and you and I need to understand that, that if we love anything about being a human being, that we don't really want anybody to go through the suffering of being separated from God for all eternity. And so when people get away with their sin, or so we think they get away, it's really not a good thing. It's better that they punish or get punished now and repent and change so they don't suffer for eternity. Yeah, everybody understand what I'm saying here? We need to wrap our brains around that. We need to understand that in a real and a powerful way. When we continually get away with our sin, our heart becomes hardened and we turn farther away from God. And that's a really bad thing. With Nineveh, Yahweh gave the city 150 years before he gave up on them. Because Yahweh is slow to anger. 150 years. And here's where we get really practical. Like most things, the predominant view of God's wrath has changed over time. Most of the Bible writers, if you go through and you just sort of take note mentally or write things down and, and look how people reach out to God, most of the Bible writers, the prophets and the, you know, the different people that are quoted in Scripture, most of them end up sharing a frustration at some time or another with God's mercy. You know, they feel like you have felt maybe at times, God, where's the justice? You know, when are you going to step up and stop this mess? When are you going to speak up for me? I've been abused, I've been neglected, I've been mistreated. And they were upset many times and frustrated with God's mercy. Psalm 13 verse 1 and 2 says this, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will the enemy triumph over me? Could you say amen to that? You felt that way. And that's a recurring theme in Scripture, is that people were often frustrated with the mercy of God, His unwillingness to act. But the common modern view of God's wrath is quite different. Many of us have given up on the idea that God is angry, and we've replaced it with the other end of the spectrum, that God is never angry at all. And many modern people are frustrated by God's wrath. The idea of a wrathful God is just frustrating to them. And we may feel like God actually might need our PR skills. Like, God, 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 hey, listen up. Let me run your Instagram account, and I'll make things look a little bit better for you, you know? I mean, we we think, hey, I'm just going to go around, I'm going to tell people, you know, God, he's not angry anymore. He's not angry anymore. He's he's loving, he's kind, he never, ever gets angry. And we feel like we've got to apologize for his past behavior. We feel like God is more enlightened now than he was back then. And this move to sanitize God has led many to redefine love. Love has simply come to mean, for many, tolerance. And for many in our society, and even in the church worldwide, when we say love, we we say the idea of tolerance. And we've also changed the idea of tolerance. Tolerance used to be the idea that we can agree to disagree and not kill each other. I mean, that's really what it was. We can be kind and amicable towards each other and, and not disagree. But you know what? Tolerance now, as a worldwide idea, has become, you cannot disagree with me. You cannot tell me that you believe what I'm doing is wrong. And that, has that helped our world? It's not helped a bit. When people can't sit down and discuss kindly two opposing ideas, we've lost all sense of of humanness in a lot of ways. And so we've changed the idea of tolerance. We called love is simply tolerance. And tolerance, we changed that idea. And so the idea that if we love people, we'll never ever tell them that they're on the wrong path. But let me illustrate it this way. This is really simple. But I'm simple-minded and I use this kind of stuff a lot. Is if you're standing here, I've used this not too long ago, so bear with me if you've heard it. And there's a bridge, and there's a road and there's a bridge, and the bridge is out. The idea of modern love or tolerance is that, you know, people are on this road and they're on the way to go plunge over the bridge. And if you're loving, you're going to be like, well, I'm going to let them do them. You know, that's their choice. That's what they want to do. Everybody's got a different path. You know, maybe they're from the Dukes of Hazard. You know, maybe, I don't know. But, you know, you're like, I'm not going to say anything. That's the modern view. But if you really love people, what are you going to do? You're going to be out there in the middle of the road flagging people down. And you know what some people are going to do? When they come along and you're out in the middle of the road flagging people down because you don't want them to go off the side of the canyon where the bridge is out, they're going to show you how many friends they had before their dog died. I'll let you process that. It's one finger. Um, Man, y'all are high and mighty, judgmental. You know people are going to be mad. They're going to haunt their horn. Idiot, get out of the road. What are you, idiot? Woo! They're going to go over the side. Is that not the way real life is? 
when you try to love people and say, look, don't go that way, it's dangerous, it's going to take your life. They will call you hurtful, they will call you bigot, they will call you all sorts of things. They will say you're hateful, you don't love people. But really what you're doing is the most loving thing you can do is stopping people from destroying their lives at all costs. Don't be a jerk about it. You know, don't be a jerk about it. But love people enough to let them know that they're heading towards danger. And the idea that to disagree agree with people is to hate them is just silly nonsense, honestly. We can disagree with each other and love each other. Look at it. Spouses do it all the time. <laughs> Am I wrong? We disagree and we love each other. And love and tolerance are not the same thing. But we are called to love like Jesus talked about. And Jesus talked about a kind of love that can actually lead to anger. And that might, some of you might set off some flags. You're like, oh, hey, what now? But when we love the way Jesus loves, it can lead to anger. We get angry about things we care about. Am I right? Let me give you another quick example. One of the things I've noticed as I've been a parent is that when my kids get hurt, my very first response is probably shock or like, you know, what's going on here? But really quickly, it can turn to anger. And you know why that is? Uh, it took me a long time to figure it out. I was like, why do I get angry when my kids are hurt? But it's like a sense of powerlessness that I couldn't protect them as their father. And I'm not supposed to let anything. See, I'm getting, I'm getting upset right now. Because I think about my kids hurting, and that's the way Jesus is about us. He loves us so much that there's times that he gets angry. Yahweh gets angry because he sees us in pain, and that's what real love is. The truth is this. It comes from a place like a father that cares about his kids. The anger that we see in Jesus and Yahweh is anger that is patient, just, and unselfish. It comes from a place of love. It's been said that Jesus was one of all-inclusive love. But how did the gospel writer Mark summarize Jesus' message? In Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, "This The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus said, change what you're doing and come to me. He, was, he loved people, but he says, you've got to come to the right path to experience that love. And Jesus spoke more about the coming judgment than any other teacher in the New Testament. Did you know that? He taught more about the coming judgment than any teacher in the New Testament. And so the account of Jesus cleansing the temple, we, talked to, we alluded to a little bit last week, is in all four Gospels. He goes in and he cleanses the table. He flips tables over. There's money changers in there. And there's people selling animals and all sorts of stuff for the sacrifices. And John has the account at the beginning of his gospel. And the other three gospel writers have it at the end. And people debated, I'm okay with there being two. It looks like he may have done it at the beginning of his ministry as recorded in John. And then it looks like he may have done it at the end of his ministry in the other three gospels as was recorded there. And regardless, whether he did it once or twice, I believe his purpose was the same either time. You see, the reason he did this, let me give you a real quick view if I can. You were to go and offer sacrifices as a good Jewish person, and you know, you'd bring money, and they would say, well, you have to use the temple coin. 
And so what they would do is when you would exchange your money, if you came from Greece or wherever, they would say, okay, well, they gave you this really bad exchange rate. And so basically the, the priests, the people who were supposed to be the people helping people get closer to God, they were stealing from the people. And then you'd bring your lamb to be sacrificed, and they'd say, okay, well, you know the law. It has to be a pure, spotless, unblemished lamb. And you had picked out your best lamb, and you had traveled for however many miles, and you had this lamb. You had protected it, made sure it was the perfect one. And the priest was like, ah, he's got a little something there. Can't use it. But, hey, guess what? We can sell you one of these. And so they reached back, and they sold you a really expensive lamb. And nine times out of ten, you know what they did? They took your lamb, and guess what they did later? They sold it to somebody else because it was perfectly fine. And so these people, the priests, the religious leaders, were supposed to be pulling people closer to God and pointing to God, but instead they were keeping people away. And so Jesus was furious with this. And he goes in and he flips the tables over, and in the uh, John account, he's braiding a whip and he's chasing people out. He's not hitting people, but he's like, wah, wah, cracking the whip, and they're running and fleeing. And he's angry about it. And because he, he doesn't like what they're doing, they're supposed to be leading people to God. And it says this in John 2 13. It says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with sheep and the oxen. And he poured out all the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And regardless of whether he did it once or twice at the beginning and the end, I believe he's saying... Pay attention. I'm about making sure that my father's house is pure. And get ready for watch what I do for the next three years. And then if it's only at the end or at both at the end, he's saying, don't you know I've been you, with you for three and a half years? I have been about my father's business, making my father's house pure so much that I am going to lay down my life to purify my father's house. Because the good news is, is that the house of God is not a temple in a place anymore. It's us the church individually us and us as a whole as a church we are the temple of God and he wants us to be pure of heart and his and so much that he paid the price that we could not pay we could not be good we could not be pure and so he paid the price with his body and his blood for us to be pure and he's saying this is what I'm about I don't like sin separating God and his people and when you're supposed to be pointing people towards God I don't want you keeping people away from God is what I believe he's saying just the same as murder Jesus went to the cross to pay for the sins of people like this who are keeping people away from God when we do things that keep people away from God he also went to the cross to pay for that too and we are the temple and we are the church and when we, the church, live in sin and twist God's word to our liking and make it fit to what we want it to fit to, we keep people away from God. We can't do that. And for that, the wrath of God is coming. So here's the question. What do we do? It's not fun, but it's simple. We repent. We repent. If we realize that that's what we've been doing, we repent. 
If you haven't been doing that, keep pointing to Jesus. Keep pointing to Jesus. But if you have fallen into that and that you've been twisting God's word and you have been living according to it and you've been setting up boundaries instead of drawing people close to God by the way that you're living your life, it's time to repent. Last week we talked about the rabbis and how they used Exodus 34, our main passage of Scripture. And that they would challenge the people to use it to be the image of God here on earth. And we also talked about how we need to make that connection that that's what we need to be doing. That's what, when we say that we want to give our life to Jesus and we want to get rid of everything that holds people back, we're not saying that we're earning our salvation. Everybody hear that? We're not saying that we are earning our salvation, that we're getting good enough so that God will love us. But what we are called to do is to look more like God so that people around us can look and see God through us and in us. And then they in turn can come to know God. And they can be the image of God. And so what he's saying is that Yahweh is slow to anger. He's allowing you and I time to be shaped more and more into his image so more and more people can come to him. That's why he's doing it. That's why he's slow to anger. It's not to earn our salvation but so that we look more like Yahweh, so others can see how to follow him. When I was a kid, I loved the movie Top Gun. Loved it. I wanted to be a naval fighter pilot, and that was my thing. And because COVID has delayed Top Gun 2, I am forever angry. It's supposed to be coming out for like three years, and it's a travesty. But I was, man, I wanted to be Tom Cruise. I was a little kid, and like, I wanted his haircut. And his haircut from that movie is kind of like a grown-out crew cut. And my hair texture is totally different than Tom Cruise's, so I could not get the haircut right. But I got the aviator sunglasses. You know, I didn't have the, the leather jacket, but I definitely got down the gum chewing. Remember how I chewed gum in that? And I could click the pen. Sherry loves that kind of stuff, drives her absolutely insane, because I still do it, because I practice it, trying to be like Tom Cruise. And then, to top it off, I did get one part right, the shirtless volleyball wearing tight jeans. I still do that, sand court volleyball. I'm just kidding, I don't do that. But what broke me of wanting to be like Tom Cruise is this, I found out he's five foot seven, and I was like, whoo, don't want to do that. Anyway, sorry, sorry if anybody's like that. Sam, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. But anyway, all right, I've totally lost you, but here's the thing. Here's why I say this. What did I do to become like Tom Cruise? I studied everything I could about Tom Cruise, right? I tried to adopt his mannerisms. I tried to do and look and dress and act and talk like him and think like him. And I wanted to do everything like him. And that's what you and I need to do with God. We need to get into his word and we need to continually see what is God like. He is slow to anger. I need to learn to become slow to anger. And I need to pursue it like a 10-year-old Bobby trying to be like Tom Cruise. I need to do it with everything that I am. I need to become more and more like my father so that other people can see they can be free. And come and spend eternity in our Father's house with me too. Because I don't deserve to be there. Just like they don't deserve to be there. But we can go freely. And so I need to look more like Him. Yahweh is giving you and me time to look like Him. So I want you to ask this question as we wrap up. The band's going to come out. What do you need to add to your life to look more like Yahweh? What do you need to change in your life to look like Yahweh? What do you need to remove from your life to look more like Yahweh? I'll tell you the very first simple thing that you need to do is you need to belong to Yahweh. 
If you are finding yourself apart from God, you just need to simply say, God, I know you're God and I am not and I'm gonna come to you. I believe that you're the only one that can save me. You turn away from your sin. You don't get it perfect. You just leave it. You say, I'm done with it. I don't want it anymore. You leave it and you run to him. You confess him alone as King of kings and Lord of lords. And you meet him in the watery grave of baptism where he washes away your sin and he gives you his Holy Spirit and makes you clean and new. And then you are a child of the one true King Yahweh. And you start automatically looking more like him. But then it's a lifelong journey of adopting and taking away and changing things that help you look more and more like Yahweh so that other people can know him. Yahweh is slow to anger. He's waiting for you. But he won't wait forever. So with the chaos that our world is in right now, I hope and pray that if nothing else good comes out of it, I believe God's going to do much more than that, but if nothing good comes out from it, it reminds us yet again that our life is not promised forever. But eternity is forever. And God has freely given us a way to spend eternity with Him and not be separate. And so Yahweh is patient and He's slow to anger. Don't take advantage of it. Take full opportunity of it. And come to Yahweh. Let's stand. Let's sing together. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.